Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcasts for the Savage Critics website. In the first of two installments for episode 10, it's Scott Pilgrim vs. the Podcast, as Graham McMillan and I discuss Scott Pilgrim the movie, Scott Pilgrim the animation, Scott Pilgrim the book, and Scott Pilgrim the box office. It's everything any self-respecting Scottaholic would want, and probably then some. Say we avoided the inevitable follow-up discussion of what all this might mean for the future of comic book movies, but we kind of didn't. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Yes, we're back for round two. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? God damn it. You don't I'm want to sit anymore. Are you, are, you, are you getting too old for that shit? <laughs> Yes, we should throw in something about me only having a certain number of days until retirement as well. So. Hey, did you see that Mel Gibson was in a car crash today? Yeah, I I just saw the headline. What what the hell happened? I didn't look past the headline. He's in a car <laughs> crash. But I, I just, because we were talking about Lethal Weapon, I was like, this would be a good segue. You know, it would be an even better segue. It was like, and then he had that cameo in Scott Pilgrim. But, but yes. Yeah, that that would be perfect. Um, he, was, he was great as the original Brandon Rudd. <laughs> That's funny. I was thinking that he would be like a even scarier, like Gideon Graves. That would have that would have been awesome. He's been like this old, mean, racist guy who used to be a huge celebrity. Um, okay, so, wait. So you saw the film and you liked the film, right? I saw the film. I enjoyed the film of. Uh, great deal i thought it was great i saw i saw it at a press screening on tuesday and then went back and saw it again on sunday in fact and um thought it was thought it was goddamn delightful both times yeah i'm i was really really happy with it and i think i said this last podcast but um i had the fear after seeing it the first time because i started to doubt whether it was that good Mm. and then the second time i saw it, i was like oh it is that's okay yeah, yeah, no, it really does hold up. In fact, it's really funny. The first time I saw it, um, and I think I might have mentioned this to you in an email, like, I was so, like, the first couple of minutes of it, I was like, oh, oh, this is pre Pre them singing the song, I think it, it's really shaky, even on the second uh, watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think as soon as they start playing the song, yes. you're like, okay. Exactly. Once the title credits kicked in, I was like, oh, pull it off. Or or I have enough faith. But right up, but like that first couple of seconds, I'm like, oh, ah. And then there was just, weirdly enough, the music just totally made me, and the opening credit sequence, I went, okay, they know what they're doing. So uh, Have you bought the soundtrack album? Not yet, but I confess to having like looked at it on iTunes. and I, 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 I did the pre-order thing uh, pretty much as soon as I could after seeing the... the screening in San Diego and, <laughs> and like because uh, you did I did the pre-order on iTunes and so huh. next time like when it's available iTunes just automatically download it really? uh, yeah which is great uh, because all of a sudden you'll have these songs you're like I didn't know this was released and I've honestly been listening to it pretty much non-stop since I got it wow it's just it's the sex bomb stuff is just completely addictive to me agreed Agreed. That's actually the stuff I want to hear the most. Although, it, I guess this is something we can talk about when we sort of talk about the movie a little bit. Or, no, wait, is that what we're doing now? What is that not what we're doing now? <laughs> Sorry. My, my weirdly OCD-ish organizational skills. No, Graham, we have to have a plan and a list. Uh, <laughs> sorry, oh no. Yes. No, the sex bomb stuff was, was, was fantastic. Like, they completely nailed it. Which I think is fascinating to me because it's so rare that you see like attempts at music being done in a comic. And then you know, I, I think even Brian Lee O'Malley talked about how like, you know, reading the comic back, you know, you just, he did the, the cartoonist does such an amazing job of, of conveying that sense of singing and, and, and it really sells it on like, Oh my God, they're a fantastic band. But then of course, when it made into an anime, you know, the, the music was just, kind of god awful you know everyone was just like what's kind of surprising to me is sex bomb in the movie does not sound anything like what i think they sound like in the comics i agree it's like two different sounds isn't it yeah but i love it i <laughs> love 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 the, the music it's the point where first of all i think the Beck like it's the best stuff Beck's done in years yes. um, but also if sex bomb was a real band i'd be like i can't wait for their next album <laughs> <laughs> it's 
totally, totally. I mean, I think that was the thing that was really brilliant about it is they they knew what they were going for. like they had a perfect idea of how to translate that that garage sound into like how do you make the best sounding garage band noise band you've ever heard in your life kind of and, and sell you on it and I just I was I was totally like it's it's kind of great you know um, it I, I I've been listening to uh, Adam Nave was actually kind enough to uh, to send me his little uh, ringtone that he made um, of Sex Babam uh, for his iPhone uh, oh is, is it the We Are Sex Babam uh, yes but then it has actually the first. 15 seconds of, of the, I think the title credit song. I don't know if that's Garbage Truck or not. But, Wait, no, uh, which is called We Are Sex, Boom. Oh, is that it? It must yeah. be. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. That would be it. Garbage um, Truck is the one they play in the Battle of the Bands. Uh, okay. Then, wow, that is so awesome. That would that Battle of the Bands scene was fantastic, too. And interestingly enough, the only one that's really close to the book in terms of fight. Mm-hmm. I love that the fights are completely restaged. Yes. Yes, which is super, super sensible. In fact, one of the things that I thought was the fight that came off the worst to me was the Matthew Patel fight in the beginning, which really seemed like the most faithful for the first, for the most part. Yeah, and also I think that the not just the fight with Gideon, but the fight with Gideon's flunkies beforehand, mm-hmm. the climax, is like the most exciting thing I've seen in cinema for a long time. Really? I don't know why there's something about that. Uh, literally him fighting the Funkies, not even him fighting Gideon. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I could watch a film of this. Right, right. Exactly. I, I, could, I could watch two hours of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't really know why. And it's, you know, I've seen the movie twice. And mm-hmm. the second time, it's still as exciting to me. There's something about the choreography and the speed and the music that I'm just like, yes, yeah. this is what film fights are supposed to be. I, I think I think there's a lot to that. Um, you know, for me, it's it's there's a I don't know that you know. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll move heavily into spoilers territory. So uh, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily spoilers per se, I guess. But for people who've seen Scott Pilgrim the movie, you probably will be less annoyed <laughs> by, <laughs> by me talking about this there's the you know if you if you haven't seen the movie maybe you should just sort of blur over us for a little bit but um if you, if you haven't seen the movie you should go and see the movie because it's yeah. really really good yeah but <laughs> stop right now stop what you're doing through, even if you're on the way to work in the morning which is when i always used to listen to podcasts oh yeah just uh right I, just ignore work stop yeah. work yeah. find the cinema that's showing the movie yeah get uh, off at the next yeah. bus stop and uh yeah, run to the nearest theater. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if that's what they, that actually happened? That would be the best. Well, okay, so yes, I, I guess we will be spoiling everything except the box office, which will already be spoiled. But uh, one of the things that I loved in that fight scene is the fight scene with the flunkies are so satisfying. And also, when he dies and comes back, like, it's very different in the book. It's definitely a restarting of the level and that whole idea of like being in a video game where you die and you get, you redo the level better because you, because you know it was so perfectly done. I really thought that that was one of those moments where I'm like, like, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, can't believe that he didn't think of doing it this way in the book. I sort of understand why he didn't, but, but But do you not also think that all the fights were, based on video game logic in a way that they're not in the comic. He fights Matthew Patel and then he fights more characters when he's fighting Lucas Lee. And then from the fights progressively get more difficult. Yes. As opposed to in the book, they don't. Yeah. Yeah, no the They're the... they're just fights. Whereas in the movie he like he does level up. Yes. Yeah, and the boss fights get harder at each stage, which means the the level of like thugs before you actually fight the big boss yeah i mean i thought that was all i thought that was super super smart and i and i like the idea that sort of in this in the same way when you're playing a video game there's usually a you have to come up with a strategy to beat the boss Mm -hmm. and and really the other boss fights have as much to do with him trying to figure out something something like a strategy um i really thought that I, i you know it's funny one thing reading a lot of the reviews uh, about the movie is everyone's talking about like, yeah, they even pull off the whole vegan police scene, which was one of the weakest points in the books. And I'm like, 
I love the fucking vegan police. Am I alone in that? What, no, no, no. I, I love the vegan police as well, and I also think that the um, the whole clash of demon heads in the movie is much weaker than it is in the book. Yeah, uh, and and that I think is the film's biggest misstep. Well, it I mean, I, I can under I can understand why they did it, but just mm-hmm. all of it just seems much shallower. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the problem. To me, the closest thing that we have to a, a misstep is that the movie, in a weird way, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the World is a uh, funhouse mirror version of Zack Snyder's Watchmen in that it is, that it tries to do too much. Um, the thing that's amazing about the Scott Pilgrim movies, I feel that generally it succeeds but I can definitely understand the people who walk out complaining that Scott Pilgrim was a cipher, that Ramona was a cipher, that there didn't seem to be much at stake. Um, I felt that I felt that one of the things that 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 uh, Brian Lee O'Malley did so well with Volume Six, incredibly well, is he manages to make he managed to make me really care about Ramona. Um, in the sixth volume and and actually understand her in a way that uh, was kind of tenuous at best for the first five volumes. Which which in a weird way, I don't know how much of that is um, intentional or not, but it feels as if it's intentional by the end of the sixth one. Yes, I think it is. I I really do think that that the idea you know by the end of end of that book it has that kind of feeling of like yeah okay these people finally actually see who each other are and accept each other and they both have been hiding who they really are from themselves as much as anything else yes um and that's that's totally why it works i mean extraordinarily well um and the movie i don't think has time to do more then sort of quickly point in that direction. Um, I also thought that that Gideon in the book ends up working tremendously well because he ends up like he's he's thematically resonant. He fits into that similar theme, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So uh, and in the movie, I I I really didn't feel that as much each way, you know. Oh no, I think Gideon in the movie is. Uh almost more of a just a generic villain mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it, it, there's no real weight to him in the way that i think there's there is in the book i think in the book and maybe this is just my reading of the book but gideon is inventing himself as much as scott and one thought they were yes and so so there's there's actually you know he fits in thematically and I'll, i mean beyond that he's also been inventing scott in a way by altering scott's memories right exactly and so and so that is very you know he he belongs there, whereas in the movie, he's pretty much just the last bad guy. Right. And but, that's fine, because the movie has a kineticism that I don't think you can really do in comics. Right. And oh, so, which carries it along. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when it comes to story, I think the, the book is, is much stronger. Yeah, agreed. Well, and I mean, it, it has the... It has I mean, the it, space to do so, of course. But also, I mean, he has the out of, he wrote the script while... After the first draft of the movie script had been written, and I really have you know, to give I mean, him some serious props for that too. I mean, I'm very impressed that he actually turned around. Like he was there, he had the shooting script, he even saw how everything was working out, and he kind of went, "Yeah, I'm going to go differently. I'm going to go over here." Like I think he was either aware that it wasn't going to work, but I, I really got the sense that I, I'm just kind of in awe of reading some of the the interviews with with O'Malley there's points where he talks about very deliberately making very deliberate changes to the storyline um that went against his initial instincts and I'm kind of in awe of somebody who can kind of do that you know and still be artistic and not necessarily be very hacky yeah I, I think and this is going to sound like the most weird backhanded compliment ever, but I think Scott Pilgrim's like really making me realize how good of a writer mm-hmm. Brian is. Mm-hmm. I mean, before that, I thought of him as a great cartoonist. I thought of him as a great artist. And the writing was fun. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a weight to Volume 6 that manages to sort of retroactively 
give weight to the previous five books. Oh yeah, absolutely. That that just shows him to be an incredibly good writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm because he really was. He knew where he was going with it, and he also took things and sort of you know managed to to fit it in so that it seems pretty goddamn seamless in a way that I, I really am. I'm I'm in awe of like thematically. You know, I, I do like what Hibb said in his in his review, which is very frequently even the best writers in comics have a tendency to flub the ending. You know, yeah. it's like it's a great time up until then, and then the ending's kind of like ah, it doesn't quite come together. But eh, you know, um, and Scott Pilgrim Volume Six is one of the few things, few uh, North American comic book series that I can think of in recent memory that that really nails the ending in such a way that it, it like you said, it, it retroactively adds a lot of um, depth and a real appreciation for it. I mean, I think for me, the, the part that I really enjoy, enjoyed about the, the movie that I, I'm really shocked that they picked up on because it was, it was an idea that I really sort of started getting a sense of, you know, midway through the series of books is when O'Malley is, and maybe I only picked up a, because he was talking about it in interviews, but the idea that Scott is sort of the unreliable narrator of his life. So mm-hmm. it explains why everything is happening the way it happens, sort of, you know, that idea of you look back on your life and playing video games was just as important a part of your life. At Like it all gets seen through this filter, I guess, where, uh, you know, the unreliable memory, I guess, makes it into that thing of like, oh yeah, you know, whether these things did or didn't actually happen, that's the um, emotionally what is is going through, you know, sort of Scott's inner life. And there's no separation of the inner and outer life, I guess, in the books. And realizing sort of how complex and organic um, O'Malley had made that really early on was impressive to me. And one of the things that astonished me about the movie is the fact that they're eight, without coming out and conveys outright saying it you also get a sense of that in in the in the movie there was a few points where i'm like oh my god this really does have this sense of it's it's okay for gideon to be uh sort of a a a sort of flat super boss from a video game because that's sort of how scott sees them and that's scott's reference points you know what i mean yeah and and what's I mean, to sort of go on with that, that's one of the reasons I have less problems with Ramona being a cyborg than I probably should. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's Scott's idealized perfect girl, and she is. And, like, right. I'm okay with that, because if we're seeing the movie from Scott's point of view, and I agree, I think they are, mm-hmm. um, I think it's okay for her to pretty much do nothing other than, you know, be pretty, change her hair color for no reason, be kind of mysterious and be a kick-ass fighter. Yeah, it's it's hard, because I definitely... And I, I, feel like I, sh- I feel like I should have more problems with that than I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I feel you, because I, I, I have that same sort of thing. And in fact, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was um, when, when the movie, towards the end of the movie, uh, where, like, Knives ends up giving Scott a big hug and Ramona looks like she's going to walk off on her own, I was like... Wait a minute! Is this how they're going to? That that was the first thing I thought as well. I was like, "Are they really ending it this way?" Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting because it was such a huge departure from the way the book went. But I don't think that it was necessarily like it. It it made sense within the context of the movie. Like in the movie, I'm like, I'm not. Sure. Maybe I would not have been. I I wouldn't have been. Um, I would have been all right with it. It would have been great, but it would have been one of those weird, like, oh, well, it sort of kind of makes sense because Knives, even though she has so little screen time in the movie, it ends up being a surprisingly crucial character. They keep a lot of her scenes. They they manage to pare her story down to sort of the minimum in a way that I felt kind of made it work. Oh, yeah. Knives feels more important to the movie than she does to the books. Right. Well, I think because she starts off super important in the books, um, and then I think, you know, uh, 
I, I think O'Malley has a lot on his plate, and I also think that he decided where he was going was kind of, you know, uh, it, it didn't need to pay off in that way. I mean, I, I, one of the things I do love about Volume 6 is um, the book opens up and Scott is miserable and wretched, and I sort of figured, like, okay, we're going to have very few pages of that, and then we're going to get to the ass-kicking. But there's actually a, an enormous amount of oh, no, time... There, there, there's a lot of him just feeling like shit. Yeah, feeling like shit, and and it really works so well. I really was impressed at how he did it, because it also manages... Because O'Malley's a really funny writer, it also manages to be funny. Like, you can... It the, can the, be scene, do- the scene with knives, where he, he kisses knives, and the, the caption is about an episode of War for everyone including you. Yes. The greatest thing, because you know exactly what that is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, I've been there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, that that whole classic, like, that that was a... Um, what I love about that is it really, to me, it works on two levels. It's like that, and that includes you in the sense of, yeah, you've been there, and it's also like, for those of you who wanted this couple to get together... The, you know, yes. this is the this, scene. This is what it is. Yeah. yeah, and it's terrible. And and that's one of those things. I really thought. Uh, I thought Laura's uh, Laura Hudson at Comics Alliance. Her interview with Brian uh, after right after the sixth book came out was quite good. Um, you know, and one of the things that he talks about in that is that idea of like he believes in going forward. He doesn't believe in in kind of going back. I guess, and that spirit really works in volume six. I think it, 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 it would have been very easy for a lot of people to kind of pull the whole like, Oh, but then they've grown and these are the people they were supposed to have been with all along. And in fact, he actually does craft some pretty compelling reasons as to why, uh, Scott and Ramona should be together and and how they're more alike than, than one might originally think. Um, and why going forward is generally a good, is a good thing is an exhilarating thing, you Mm -hmm. know? And I really like that. I really like the way that the the book puts us in, um, you know, shows growing up as as a thing that's worth doing. And I thought that that was really, really in in a way that didn't feel preachy, that but felt really like. Oh no, I I, I thought the book felt incredibly. Um, and and volume six, I'm talking about more than the others. Uh, I don't know if else. I thought it was very uh, mature and emotional and. And maybe it's just like me, but I had this completely strong emotional reaction to the themes in it mm-hmm. um, that are probably like as half as much me projecting as what is actually there. But I, I think you're right. I think I think it's a really much a book about the value of growing up for one of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I think that's kind of a... Um, I, I really appreciated the hell out of it. I do think that it's, and that's one of the things that I think is sort of a, sort of a shame in a way, is I, I sort of feel like there's a lot of people who look at the trappings of Scott Pilgrim and are kind of like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a kid's thing, you know, like, because, you know, I'm 44, so I'm surrounded by a bunch of similar old farts. But I'm like, no, this actually really does have a lot to say about, like, there there's a... For anyone who's suffering from any sort of case of, of middle-aged nostalgia, which is, you know, a, a horrible affliction that I think starts to kick in once you're in your mid-30s, maybe earlier, maybe later, um, volume six that ends up being like kind of the perfect antidote for that. Yeah, no, not entirely. I, it's just, yeah, I, I, I'm just back in the, I love volume six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I love them all too. I I mean I love them all, but Volume Six was great. The other thing that I also want to talk about briefly about Volume Six that I thought was brilliant that I don't see enough being said about is I'm so glad that he got uh, two two art assistants to help him with the book. You've said this before. Why? I I think there's just well there's two things. First off, are you are you at a dog fight, Graham? Is there? I <laughs> on, I I I will put you on hold for like two seconds, and I will actually close the window. It's next door dogs having a fight. Oh, I see. Okay. 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 
Hello. Well, hello. Hello. Uh, that I uh, just for no one's case uh, sake apart from yours, uh, twenty six oh eight was when I came back. So I think we stopped somewhere around twenty two minutes as well. In case you want to cut those four minutes out. Oh, great! I appreciate that. Yeah. I, although, just to be on the safe side, I started um, a mean girl from Ipanema. Um, you know. <laughs> See, it's infectious. So. The reason why I'm glad about the art assistance is I felt that volume five of Scott Pilgrim to me kind of worked as far as sheer cartooning went, but it felt it didn't, it was a little, um, it was a little too minimal for me. It was kind of, it was like a lot of people running around with almost Charles Schultz style heads. And although that was great, um, I love, like, there's a shot of, of Envy Adams where she's talking to Scott on the streets of Toronto, and she's got, they they put this, like, screen effect in her hair, um, and I just love that. There's also those great sort of radio, what is it, is it a radiograph uh, effect? Whenever he kisses any of his, you know, whether it's Kim Pine or um, or Knives, you know, there's this, like, little circular pattern, and all the all the sort of anime style effects anime manga style effects that happen in the background with the screen tones and things seem a lot more pronounced to me mm-hmm. um, i just I just really thought that the you know the some of the manga influences um came came out a lot better that it wasn't just the details are really minimal or we're not doing a lot of you know like special effects in somebody's hair or clothes because I just don't have time, you know, it's like with manga, it's like, there's a, there's an, it's like a, an eye iris, like widening or closing in terms of the amount of detail and the moment in the scene. So sometimes you get those incredibly detailed backgrounds and then just a little cartoon figure in front of it, or you get somebody's like clothing that's just been done, you know, inked to within an inch of its life. And that makes it all the more powerful when, you know, on the next page, like one stick figure kicks another stick figure in the nuts. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, so volume six, I was really happy. I'm, I, and who knows, I could be a complete, completely wrong about it, but I assume the presence of, of John Kantz and, and Aaron Anketa allowed them, uh, allowed, uh, O'Malley to try for sort of a broader range of effects in the, the amount of time that he had left and, and still pull things off. Well said. I can't add anything to that. You're probably entirely right. <laughs> hmm. That, this, that is was when, a... this is when we get back to the you being smarter and, and funnier and, and more self-defacing than anyone else. <laughs> Review of you, isn't it? No, you're, you're entirely right. What um, What's funny for me is that I remember Scott Pilgrim 5 not looking rushed, mm-hmm. but, I mean, his art evolves every single volume. There's something unfinished about the art in the fifth volume in a way that it hadn't been in the fourth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's achieved something, some sort of closure in the sixth volume. Yeah, yeah, I think. I'm I not. Think... I'm not sure if it was him being rushed or if it was just in transition. I don't know how much of it the the assistants actually have to do with. But yeah, there was there's definitely a, a, a feeling of there being an obviously evolution in the sixth after sort of. Not exactly stalling, but whereas every book has a sort of jump, the fifth book felt like sort of mid-jump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think I can see that, definitely. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's the other thing that's so impressive about, uh, I thought, about O'Malley's progress all the way through is I enjoyed Volume 1 a lot. And going back and looking, looking at it, I'm kind of like, wow, it's impressive how far he's come. Like, he's really yeah, yeah. just... Were you, are you not surprised looking back at volume one? You're like, wow. Because you, you don't... Or at least I didn't think the change had been so pronounced. I didn't but think then so when either. We were, when we were doing it for tech ones, and I went back and read the first volume, and I was like, wow, this looks like an entirely different guy. This looks like someone trying to rip off Brian Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? And it's it's kind of like, wow, that's... Yeah, it, it's it's completely reversed in that. And yeah, I with each volume, I just sort of internally, you know... It seemed enough the same that that turning around and looking at it, you know, side by side, really went proved that that was not the case at all. But it's funny because your idea, or at least my idea, of what the characters look like grows with each successive volume, with each change in style, to the mm-hmm. point where 
um, when Adult Swim did their Scott Pilgrim versus the Animation last week. Oh, it's yeah. incredibly faithful to the to the second volume where it comes from. Yes, but it looks wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's incredibly faithful. I mean, it's, it's super faithful. Literally yeah. taken straight from the but it looks yeah. wrong. I was really impressed, like because having played having played the video game and having seen the movie and having like you know last last week was almost overkill for Scott Pilgrim. And I say that as a massive Scott Pilgrim fan. But by the time the app had come out for the iPhone and the iPads, the soundtracks had come out, the animation had come out, the game had come out, the movie had come out, I really was just thinking, it's time to stop. If they have one more Scott Pilgrim thing, like if they announce, and here's Scott Pilgrim, the action figures, I would just be like, no. Right. Well, I, I, Scott. I, I think what I what I found really fascinating is, is that um, uh, Scott Pilgrim the animation was the only one that I felt really dropped the ball. Um, and I, I don't even think it was terrible. It was incredibly faithful to the second volume, but, but it was weird. I guess having, I mean, admittedly it's, it's characters back to a flashback sequence, but I was like, huh, that's really funny. The voices don't seem right to me. The, it, it all seems wrong. I guess because it looks close enough to O'Malley's, you know, drawing style and everything that it was hard and it it was too close it started to seem like the characters that i hear in my head you know what i mean and they don't sound like that kind of like the same way that sex babam in the movie doesn't sound like sex babam in the book in my head it's the same way with those character voices so having michael sarah's voice come out of an animated scott pilgrim head i was like yeah that doesn't sound right actually yeah it's very very strange Mm-hmm. So it also it also was the only one that felt like a cash in. It didn't feel complete in and of itself. Because what I really like about the movie is, if I had never read the books, mm-hmm. I could enjoy the movie as a movie. The yeah. movie is so much a film. Like the the, the scene transitions, the way he plays with narrative, the way he, you know, the way the scenes, you know, Scott will say one thing in one scene and it will be answered, and it will be the the answer to the question by a character in a completely different scene at a completely different time. And there's so much that's just like a celebration of what you can do with the film yes. in the movie um, makes it feel like a movie. Yeah. Um, and I've not played the video game, but I'm sure the video game feels like a video game because, you know, Scott Pilgrim feels like a video game anyway. The soundtrack is so good. It sounds like an album mm-hmm. as opposed to a soundtrack. You don't feel, well, you know, this obviously has to be in this scene to have some resonance. Um Whereas the animation felt like felt like four minutes of test animation for a series that was never made. It, it just, yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it didn't feel complete in and of itself. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work on its own terms, and that was one of those things where I was like, "Yeah, Michael Zara's voice not quite right. Uh, the person doing Kim Pine's voice not quite right in this context." You know, Kim Pine is is a very different character in the book than in the movie. And, yes, and. and that was that was one of those moments where I was like, "Oh yeah, this isn't going to work," and then and it ended up working. Like the completely different take on Kim works perfectly for the movie. And again, putting just having that same actress say the same lines and do the same things in the animation, I was kind of like, "Yeah, huh, not working for me." But me, I can't remember her last name, uh, who plays Roxy in the movie. I oh, think yeah. did it be similar. I'm sorry. Did what? Great. Did a great did a Lisa, great Miller. Lisa Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I really so liked her, Lisa Miller. Um, I can't remember last name. May Whitman. Whitman. Right? May Whitman. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who I have to say, I also really love in Parenthood. I don't know. Re- I've, I've recommended NBC's Parenthood to you before, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> um, she, she's the troubled daughter in Parenthood, and she's spectacular. I think I'm the only person at Comic Con when she was doing all the Scott Pilgrim stuff that I kind of wanted to go up to the podium and be like when you and Lauren Graham were on screen together. <laughs> you totally should, because there's 9 million people who know her, who, who it's, it's all about Arrested Development for her. And, um, and she's hilarious in Arrested Development as well. But, uh, but no, actually, Edie has said really good things about, her, about Parenthood, and particularly about me. She's, I, I, she's a really good actress. She's oh, really yeah, yeah. Good. Seriously, she will break your heart every single episode. Yeah, yeah, so... Right now, it's probably me and like me and Brian Bendis are like two people in the comics world who watch Parenthood. 
Really? Does Brian Bendis? Uh, I'm sure he does because he. I I know he was a massive fan of the Gilmore Girls, and I know he loves Lauren Graham, and it's Lauren Graham and Gilmore Girls love him too. It's Parenthood. I see. Gilmore Girls was tough, man. I watched I watched that, and it was it was such a great show, but it was it was on against Buffy at the time, so I just I had to choose. ABC Family. They are doing the reruns. That's how I saw it. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Weren't you, like, sick or something and yeah, saw some, like, was, Gilmore Girls sick. Marathon was, or something? I was sick and there was nothing on television. And I was like, got to watch something. Oh, what's this? I'll just put it on. And it was like an episode of the Gilmore Girls, maybe ten minutes into it. And I was hooked by the end of the episode. <laughs> and I was like, addict to TiVo now. Gilmore Girls. <laughs> God, I'm really impressed at how much I think maybe this new version of Skype is fucked up Firefox. Because... Every time it cannot, like it says, I've got a decent internet connection. But every time I try and like go to the internet and open anything, it just basically barfs on me. So I see. <sighs> I thought I'd done something terrible when I found out that my um, fanboy rampage Yahoo address was apparently spamming people last week. Did you know about this? Uh, oh no! I I, I uh, apparently Brian Hibbs was... emails me and he's like, "Yeah, you're you're spamming me." And it's like, you know, I know it's not you, but your name and email address is spamming me. And I was like, that's really weird. And I go and check my Gmail and nothing. And I go and check my Yahoo. And I've got all these bounce backs from people whose email addresses aren't used anymore. Man. And well, I was like, wow, apparently I am. Apparently someone has hacked my, my Yahoo. Well, it's it's not necessarily so much that they they hacked it. I mean, you know, what what can happen is, is that they... they it or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which has is, is happened to me on my Lazy Bastard account. It goes through periods where, weirdly enough, it never really seems to show up in other people's... Um, yeah, I haven't had the problem in a long time. So, Although, it's, it's really frustrating. When I go into my spam filter on my Gmail account, the number one spammer is me. Like, apparently, for, I get all this spam email that looks like it's being sent from me trying to sell myself penis stuff. And, and I'm like, what? Like, well, no one else has fair, ever come... You're trying to sell yourself penis stuff. Seriously. It's some sort of scary, like, Scanner Darkly schism. Like, a, oh, a Spammer Darkly. Sign me up. <laughs> I am ready to, to cash that big paycheck. Or, I don't know, at least get a, a Mad Magazine parody um, that I can actually... That idea is copyright Jeff Lester. It isn't in here. <laughs> That's right. This parody that rips off Philip K. Dick relentlessly is copyright. I always love it when people try and copyright stuff that's like they're like, you know, whenever people like with fanfic are like, copyright 2010. I'm like, dude, you totally have like. <laughs> it's, it's not copyright you. It might be copyright DC Comics. They own Superman last time I checked. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think they necessarily want to see us read a story where Batman and Joker like, you know, double team Robin. But if they do, like, technically they can take all your ideas, fucker. You have no, not much of a say about it, I think. So, um, okay, I think the Skype that... extension for Firefox is screwing me up. That's what I think. Yes, yes I'm sorry. Technology. I was going to say, I love that we started off talking about Scott Pilgrim and end up talking about Batman double and Joker double teaming Robin. <laughs> That's comics right there. It's the arc. The arc That's right. Uh, that is the arc. Isn't, isn't it inevitable, Graham? Um, well, actually, so we did a great job of, I think, talking about the book and hitting the things we loved about the movie, although there is one little additional movie soundtrack thing that I was curious about. Why don't you ask it? I will. What did you feel about... How did you feel about the use of the Rolling Stones song? Oh, I liked it. It was subtle enough that... It, yeah. Also, I okay. like that song. It, as you know, I have my issues with the Rolling Stones. Um, right. Yeah, it was fine. It's interesting because someone uh, on Twitter was complaining that it was too obvious. Uh, and I apologize if my browser worked. I would actually give credit where credit's due. And I, I kind of love the moment of when you hear it playing like off screen because it's in the car that's pulling up. Um, and it's just that riff. And I really liked, like it was set, to me it was such a great shorthand for Gideon's character and what his character represents in a way not just the obvious you know oh Ramona is under his thumb thing which again seems a little obvious but just very much that kind of um, you know the Rolling Stones have that more urban than you more yeah, it's, savoir it's, there, faire there, than you there is a certain sort of hipster quotient 
to the Rolling Stones. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and no, that I, was one I, of the I, I, I honestly had no problem with, with that appearing in the movie at all. Okay. Uh, I also love the use of um, the T Rex of Teenage Dream, which yeah. I, I thought was just lovely because it's so different from the other music that it really mm-hmm. stands out. And the, you know, just having that—I mean, it's got to be what twenty seconds at most, right? Just was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That that was well, and I felt that way about about the Rolling Stones thing too. Although it's much more pronounced, actually, and and harder to miss, but. Yeah, I blah blah blah. I I definitely thought the soundtrack was was super well put together. Yes, so. the soundtrack, soundtrack I have to say honestly is worth buying. So, I guess that leaves the inevitable box office wrap up take. Like I I think which kind of lead back back before which, which my computer back, failed yes, me. Back to the start of the thing. I mean, we could just go over what we were saying before, which is. I mean, do you think it underperformed at the box office, really? I mean, I wanted it to make more money. Do you honestly think it underperformed? Yes, I do. I I think that... I Well, okay. I think that there I'm are I'm not ways... saying how much you want it to make. No, 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 absolutely. What it, this is how I set it up as a qualifier. Not in how much I wanted it to, but realistically, I can see a context in which... Scott Pilgrim opened at twenty million dollars, at twenty million dollar opening weekend to a thirty million dollar opening weekend, and I think there are three factors as to why that didn't happen. Well, actually, honestly, <laughs> this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not. But honestly, the four factors are the four movies ahead of it at the box office. Well, no, exactly. Um, it's opening at the same time as Eat, Pray, Love, The Expendables. Right. Yes, but also, I, I mean, it was. I think the trailers did not do any favors. Yes. I think the trailers played fine to the audience who knew about Scott Pilgrim, but if you didn't, especially the first trailer, was mm-hmm. terrible. They should yeah. have used the um, the Ozzy Miso video remixes that were going on that were online before it came out. They should mm-hmm. have used those as the trailers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Uh, I think I think the trailer had had screwed the pooch on it, but I will say, and this is going to sound like even if it wasn't opening against. Okay, so there's the Expendables and Eat, Pray, Love. I think that that that, and this is going to sound screwy. If you take the 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 goofy humor of the other guys and you take the the sort of weird filmmaking craft and innovation of Inception, like that splits the difference on. Those those people should have been going to Scott Pilgrim, and I mean, like, should have, shouldn't have. But I I, I was kind of curious to what extent. I, I really feel like people there was going to be a big enough crowd for that one weird, odd, out of nowhere movie, and for the summer, and that ended up being Inception. I think I think that a I, lot I, of people went and saw that instead. Well, the other thing that did it, and I hate to agree with everyone, as you know, but. I think everyone who's saying there are too many preview screenings is entirely right. The fact that I've seen the movie twice and I haven't paid for it once is wrong. Well, you yeah, know? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, but... I, I, Eric, a, a friend of mine at Portland Mercury, has seen it three mm-hmm. times before it came out. Yeah. And he wasn't the San Diego. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't think that I was going to have any opportunities to see it because I had missed every screening, and then Hibbs was like, hey, and I got a press screening pass, and I went in, and I sat in a row. It was like like I had stopped going to screenings long ago, but it was kind of like, oh, this is cordoned off for me with reserved seats? Yeah, I'll go. Um, and, of course, I felt guilty about that, that I went went back and spent money on an opening weekend. Um, but, I, but, well, again, I think it's, I think it's going to get its money back on cinema release because I think it's going to have a longer release because of word of mouth. I than most I, th- think it does. I think that and I agree with you and to, to extend that, I think the problem with all those screenings wasn't that there were so many of them, it was that they were too soon, you know? Like if they had had the movie wrapped up enough to take people to you know to show it to people two months ago for screenings. I yeah, think that yeah, and let the buzz build, yes. Yes, but I think part of the thing that, that, that kind of sucked was, you know, all the people who saw it at Comic-Con, um, and I think there were huge numbers of people who saw it at Comic-Con, 
they came back and it took them basically a week and a half for them to get their lives together after surviving fucking San Diego. And then the movie was out, you know? And I, I really think that if all these screenings had happened long enough to allow it to build word of mouth, but instead it was like, boom, here's a screen, dunk, and it's out, it's out a week and a half later. And everyone was like, well, you know, it took, it took a certain amount of the opening, opening weekend crowd, but it, it, yeah, it didn't give them enough time to, to get more people organized and get more people excited about going to it. So. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, I, I do think it's going to be another How to Train Your Dragon, which I don't know if you remember, How to Train Your Dragon came out and everyone looked at the opening weekend and went, oh, it's flopped. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept staying there in the charts. Wait, like, which... it didn't, how, how to Train Your Dragon. The, oh, the, How to Train the, Your Dragon, yes, yes, the yes. Right. Movie. It just mm-hmm. didn't really go away, it just stuck around and ended up mm-hmm. being a hit because it just stayed around, it had really good word of mouth. Right. And I think, I mean, Scott Pilgrim had great reviews. Yeah. Uh, it did, but I, I'm going to go on a limb and guess that that is not going to happen here. Um, and again, the reason why I think that is not going to happen here is I think the movie where that, that, that movie is Inception. Like, I honestly believe that the movie that people are still defining themselves by either, I still haven't seen it and I've got to see it because everyone else has sort of talked about it, is, is Inception. Yeah. It's it's not it's not Scott Pilgrim, um, I I don't know and I could be wrong but I think the general rule of thumb is you kind of only get one of those per season and I just you, you, you could be right I hope that I'm wrong because I would love this to get enough money um, back at the box office that 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 make people because this has been a it's been a tough year year and a half for um, comic book movies that are not created from a generic superhero template. Between this and the perceived perceived failure of Kick Ass and the the disappointing um, turnaround of Watchmen, I think we're kind of looking at a thing of of most movie producers are going to go. I don't really see why I should go outside the box. Really, you know, it's like it doesn't seem to pay off. It seems to make more sense to dump money into something like Iron Man or Ghost Rider. Or maybe we'll see how the DC secondary DC. We'll see how the primary DC properties do, but maybe the secondary DC properties, rather than going for the very oddball, um, off-the-beaten-path type movies. I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think Green Lantern is going to make less money than people think it will. Yeah, that, unless, that, unless the people that you're talking about is me, because I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see I, it. I, th- I think Warner's are hoping it's going to be this massive hit. I don't think it's going to be a big hit, but I think it's going to be... I think it's going to make... Uh, if you include inflation, therefore muddying the numbers somewhat. I think it's going to be less successful for its time than Iron Man was. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Well, but I mean, the Iron Man is brilliant because there's that, you've got to have that weird thing of like, people are like, well, you want to catch a star when they're not at their absolute apex because then it costs the studio too much money. Robert Downey Jr. was, I mean, he was perfect for the role, but it was like, People were like, kind of like, oh, thank God, at last. This is, I've always wanted to see Robert Downey Jr. in a movie and enjoy it, you know? And yeah. here's that movie. Yeah. Um, and but I just. Again, don't... I mean, Ryan Reynolds, we have this for him as well, because Ryan Reynolds hasn't really had his breakout movie. Well, but that's it. I feel, I feel like he's sort of like, you, you're better off having somebody who was big or peaked, you know what I mean? Rather than have somebody who's like not quite there yet. You know, um, and I'm I'm trying to think what it, who I could come up with who's like a really weird good comparison, but but something like The Expendables almost speaks to that of like, well, The Expendables was very smart in that it covered all of its all of its chips on the roulette table, so I, I, I withdraw that. But I do think that Ryan Reynolds, although I've seen him in some interesting stuff and I generally like him fine, I don't really care about Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that's the strange thing. He's this sort of non-entity. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I know what he looks like, but if someone was like, Ryan Reynolds, what do you think? I'd be like, eh, he exists. I've, I've seen him in things. I've seen him in things I've, that I I've like. Seen it. I've seen him in things too, but honestly, yeah. I, you know, I could tell you about them. But so, I, I think that that's actually going to be 
problematic for the Green Lantern movie uh, as a whole is that it's it's sort of a weird two stage process of you know Green Lantern is not he's not Spider Man you're not going to get like people who have been dying to see a Green Lantern movie for thirty years rushing in no matter who's in the role you know um, yeah but the, they almost don't count do you know what I mean like those people are going to go and see Green Lantern anyway. The people who might have been waiting for a Green Lantern movie for thirty years are going to go and see it. Well, yeah, I guess you, what you I'm need, you need to convince everyone else that Green Lantern is not ridiculous. Uh, I, I guess what I was saying was like in comparison to the first Spider-Man movie, it didn't matter that Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man, and nobody really necessarily knew or cared very much about Tobey Maguire. The number of people that really cared about Spider-Man and a Spider-Man oh, yeah. movie As, was yeah. huge, and that's larger than the number of people who care about the Green Lantern movie. So, damn you! You just don't <laughs> get what all of us see in the Guardians of the Universe. <laughs> I, you know, I think that I think that the movie could have like tons of potential because I, th- you know, I am assuming they're smart enough to to work things off of Jeff Johns's sort of streamlined recreation of things. Um, and I, I think all that stuff will fall together really well. It'll be a really great cinematic experience, and it'll have lots of th- neat things built into it that could play off in later movies. But I think it's going to come out, and a lot of people are going to go, Meh, and and maybe they'll be like, you know, maybe this was not worth doing. It's not do- worth doing a second one of these, you know? Oh, I think that I think Warner is going to end up locked into at least two, if not three. Well, they're making I think, I, noises I think, like it, yeah. Well, they're already scripting too. Yeah, but scripts are nothing. It's 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 if they start dumping a certain. It's no, how but, much but money they, they, they dump in pre-production. Yeah, but they apparently want to start filming before the first one is in theaters. And that is that's, that's the part where I think if they make that decision, right, they have to make three. Right, then they're on the line for it, and I I honestly would be shocked if they they actually do that. I think that that's just financial crazytude. You know, unless they figured out a way to do these on like a much lower budget than the other stuff, but you know, I, I, I even if you've got the idea for an awesome Green Lantern trilogy, which I half believe that they do, you know, I still don't think that that's you should not putting you know hundreds of millions of dollars in one basket before it's hatched is is kind of is kind of crazy. So good mixing of the metaphors there. The baskets hatch. Oh yeah. Hmm. Okay. Perhaps I've mixed. I've overmixed my metaphors. I, I think we should take a break here and then come back with a second podcast, actually about comics. I think that sounds great. Although, do you think we can do that in half an hour? Because yes, let, let yes, let's try and do a very quick one. Because I I also didn't say let's try and finish by seven for everyone See. paying attention again. <laughs> right now it's six thirty. <laughs> 